This is a violation of the rules, but what you're listening to is Adam. That's Adam. He recorded and then harmonized, etc. Just wanted you to know that. So there. Connor and I'm one of the pastors here at First Pres, and I'm so delighted that you would come and join us this morning. 
I love reminding us that worship is God's party, which means this is the place where you can come as you are. And it's also okay to not be okay. It is our hope that you will go deeper in your relationship with Jesus or that you might discover what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. If you are new to First Pres, welcome. And we invite you to go to our website after worship, fill out the connect card so that we might pray for you, encourage you, and answer any questions that you might have. In our effort to create a touchless, safe experience, we ask that if you need to leave the sanctuary during worship, that you would use the back center double doors or this door adjacent to the piano. And that at the end of the worship service, that you would remain in your pew until one of the ushers comes to get you. For those of you who are online with us this morning, would you share the service on Facebook so that others can also join with us in worship? Please pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we know that you are the one that invited us into this day. And Father, we understand that we are here because you created us to need you, to need each other. Lord, some of us are here who are really struggling, navigating difficulties that are beyond anything they've ever known before. Others came in the building rested, joyful, celebrating. But Lord, what we all understand is that we desperately need you. We don't have what it takes to continue to walk through the complexities of what's going on in our lives, in our city, in our country, and beyond. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. We need the courage and the faith to trust all of it in your hands. Lord, as we worship you in this hour, would you help us to listen, to just listen to you as we sing, as we hear you speak to us in prayer, in the sermon, even in the silence. Lord, open our ears and push away anything in us that would build resistance to really hearing from you and then leaving this place different because you spoke into our lives. So Lord, we ask that you speak, speak words that we each need to hear, unique to each of us. Lord, there are also people in our lives that we bring to you in silent prayer, people who are struggling with grief, with loneliness, with an illness that seems beyond control, Lord, we name them to you now, offering them into your loving care. Father, we also pray for Lincoln Tamayo and all of the students at Academy Prep Lakeland in the loss last week of a beloved 12-year-old student that took her life. Jesus, wrap your loving arms of comfort around that community, around each child, parent, faculty member. Help them, Lord, to receive 
your care and bring hope into their hearts again. Father, we also think about those we know who are going through this moment in our world feeling hopeless and lost and confused. People that don't know you, Jesus. And we ask that you might use us to be a bridge in their lives where they might begin to explore who you really are. Oh, Father, you are real and you are alive and you are with us even now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And now I want to invite all of you to take the next 60 seconds to just jump up and say hi to those you know, meet those you don't. And for those of you online, greet each other in the chat line. Jump on up, let's have some fun.
this morning we got a new song for you. Let me take off my mask for a second. There we go. This song is called Graves Into Gardens. And it goes right along with our, our series. It reminds us of our mighty Messiah, the one that can do nothing, or we can do nothing without him, rather. And it's him that turns our mourning into dancing. It's him that takes the bones of bodies and, and turns them into an army. He is unstoppable. He is our mighty savior and he's worthy of our praise. So as we sing, I hope you're reminded that and you're encouraged as we learn it together. Let's sing.
Matthew 25 is our outreach to those who are hungry and homeless. And as we prepare to relocate as a church, we need a new home for Matthew 25 so that we can continue our ministry of compassion and care to those who are living on the streets in downtown Tampa. So I'm calling on you this morning for help in two ways. One, keep praying. Keep praying that God would reveal to us a new home so that we can continue to be good stewards of this ministry that he's called us to do for the most vulnerable. But the second way that you can help is we want to invite you into the journey of looking. Help us look for a new space, either that we might rent or share space with someone else or some other creative idea that you might have. We've been looking very carefully for months now, and it's time that we call on all of us to do that work together. In Matthew 25, verse 40, Jesus said this, and I love this translation. He said, whenever you did it, for any of my people, no matter if they seemed unimportant, you did it for me. Every man, woman, and child that we serve is of infinite value to God and therefore to us as well. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace faithful stewards of God's grace. Something exponential is possible when we start to release the gifts that we have received and that we manage as stewards. And you, my friends, have been faithful stewards of what God has given you. And I can't thank you enough because of your gifts you have affected the lives of more people than you could ever have imagined. And here are five ways that you can continue to impact lives one life at a time.
yo. Let's get this thing started, though it's really already roaring. Man, I, that's that new tune. Woo! I hope online you could sort of get a sense of it. That new tune, I liked all the tunes, but that new tune was a new tune, and I'm kind of rocking with it. We're going to start this way. Okay, you ready? Online, I want to make sure you can see it. Everybody in the room, can you see this? I am the worst number, 13, right? Sure they are. Of course they are. But someone wants to object. No, I am 666. Now, if you have no biblical background, that's not going to be funny to you. Then that's a challenge for you to find out why it's funny. I'm not telling you. You see it? Everybody see it? We good? I laugh at you. Seriously. Did anybody see 2020 coming? Did you see it coming? No. I didn't see it coming. We just didn't possibly have any idea. Pandemic. Right now today, friends, quarantine, family, quarantine. Our economy, the, the global economy, doing somersaults. And then this stuff, the tension in our culture, particularly the racial tension and the violence. And all of this is going on, and we're scratching our heads and saying, Ugh, it's just, and no one saw it coming. But here's what's even more important for us to re realize about where we stand with all this. This is not supposed to be this way. Let yourself sort of live into that as a posture as we make our way through this morning together. Things aren't so just simply aren't supposed to be this way. But man, there's a bunch of it that we just couldn't possibly have seen coming. But we're not the first people that had it be bad, had it be the way it is and not the way it's supposed to be. And stuff happens and we don't see it coming. And we've been in this book, the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the, the Gospels, which is the beginning of the New Testament. But those four books are in the middle of 66 books, which are our Bible. Now, I'll tell you about the word Bible. Bible is an English word from a Greek word. You know, everything is Greek. And so it, the, the Greek word ta biblia, the books, we have 66 of them. And we call it the Old Testament and New Testament. Here's what I want you to make sure you understand. Ta Biblia, the books, the Bible, a unified story that points us to Jesus, period. Lots of things in it that are hard to understand, but I promise you that's what it is. That's the umbrella. These 66 books, Ta Biblia, the Bible, a story, unified story that points us to Jesus. And the Gospel of Mark is one of four that we call gospel, just a word or two about the gospel of Mark. If, the, if you date Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection about 30, 31, 32, 33 A.D., Mark gets down on sheepskin. There weren't books back in those days. There were sort of something like a book, but very few of them. They were very expensive. No one had owned a copy of them, very few people. And so Mark gets down on paper, but Mark's story and all the stories about Jesus are being shared in the family of faith. So if it gets down on 60, 
A.D. in ink, then that means you got about 25 or 30 years where the family of faith, the followers of Jesus, are hearing and sharing these stories. And unlike our day, those people had phenomenal memories. But what I want you to understand is what's written and what we're reading today would be able to have been verified by eyewitnesses. So this is not made up. People are going to tell you that the Bible is just a book written by human beings, and I understand that, and I want to respect their perspective, but tr try it out. Friends, I want you to understand that really smart people want you to know that these are reliable documents, and they're telling us things that are. They're not made up. The eyewitnesses were there. They would have said, no, 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 that's not what happened. And then it gets down, and then we've had it ever since. 66 books, top biblia, giving us a unified picture of Jesus, and you need to know that. If you want to understand more about that, come grab me, and I'll help you to dig in a little bit more deeply. But this book that we have, this book, it's God's Word to us. And what do I mean by that? Just another reference before we dive into Mark, and the reference is from that brilliant, unbelievable leader, the Apostle Paul. And he writes to his protege, Timothy, and he says this. He writes several letters to Timothy. We have one called 2 Timothy, the second letter, chapter 3, verse 16. He says this, all ta biblia, all the books. He uses a different Greek word, grafe, but all scripture, all the books. And listen to this, God breathed. They're God breathed. Theopneustos is the word. God breathed. And therefore, they're very useful, helpful to help us know how to live, which is the word righteousness, live rightly. They teach us these books. They correct us in the sense of we're out of line in our life and how we're behaving, like discipline, like a parent disciplining a child. And the fourth thing they do is they give us the right way of thinking about God and what to believe and how to live. They teach us the difference of the, the way to live. That's what the God-inspired Biblia do. And here we are diving into it, the gospel of Mark, learning about it. And, and in Mark, we've seen three themes. And I want you to see the themes now. We've said we've, we're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about the mighty Messiah. Mighty is our word here to sort of warm us up to the idea of Messiah. And we've talked about being a follower of the mighty Messiah in the outbreaking of the kingdom. And we've called this being a daring disciple, daring discipleship. We're going to dare to follow Jesus. And those themes that we're going to find today, don't pull them apart. It's not like some parts of it fit in one bucket and some others in this bucket and a third in that. They're all sort of on purpose and need to be like a seamless garment, all mixed together. And there's another thing that helps us clarify even more. It's a key verse that the Gospel of Mark, which you're going to hear about in detail next week, the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, we're in chapters 8 and 9 today, chapter 10 next week, for the son, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we're in 8 9 of Mark. He has 16 chapters. We're getting to the meat of the matter here. And so that's where we are today. I want us to see all these themes working together. And this morning in particular, we're going to learn a little bit more about how to dare to be a disciple. So in we go. Mark chapter 8, excuse me, verses 27 and 28. They go like this. And Jesus went up, went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, 
who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. So Caesarea Philippi, it's about 25 miles north of Jerusalem. So it means Caesar's Philippi, Caesar as in the emperor of Rome. See, there's another Philippi, and it's way over in the Greek world. And so there, Philip was the father of Alexander the Great. Sorry about the history lesson, but this is important. So you got Philip, father of Alexander, conquers a known world. They got a city in honor of Philip, the dad. Dad, I'm killing everybody, and I'm going to name one of the cities after you. So he did two cities, but Caesar says, no, 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 I'm the boss now. This is 500 years later. And so Caesar says, I want a city named after me. So it's Caesar's Philippi, this one. This one's in the eastern Mediterranean. The other Philippi is over in Greece. If your geography thing is broken, don't worry about it. Just wanted you to know that there's a lot of battle. You think people fighting today about territory is a new thing? Oh, no. The bragging Caesar versus the bragging Philip and Alexander, it's all been going nothing new there. Anyhow, that's where they are, 25 miles north of Jerusalem. And Jesus takes his boys up there, and he says a really important question. What are they saying about me? And so I would invite you to, to listen to the world around you in the same way. What do people say about who I am? Who do they think I am? And notice the answer. Well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say Elijah. Some people say one of the prophets. Well, John the Baptist would be a prophet. In fact, these guys all know when they say this to Jesus, John the Baptist just had his head cut off by one of Caesar's governors in the area. Beheaded. That means gone. They know this. They think maybe Jesus is John somehow miraculously come back. Elijah is sort of a prefigure, a, like a mountain of one of the great heroes of the, of the history of Israel, the people, the Jewish people. He's like way up there in their charts. And the third thing they say Jesus might be is one of the prophets. Let me just say something about prophets. Do not for a moment think that prophets means soft, weak, docile, gentle meek Uh uh-uh they see jesus and he's reminding them of prophets and here's what prophets did prophets railed they spoke out bravely fearlessly against the people why because the people had violated their love covenant with god and the prophets were the one and went in and said you're cheating on god infidelity in your relationship with the Almighty. That's what the prophets did. No, nothing weak about them. Nothing soft about them. But the prophets also offered hope. The prophets said, the Almighty God of the universe, relate to him the way he wants you to love him back. And there'll be peace and all of these wrong things. Remember we asked the question, it's not supposed to be like this? No, it's not. And the prophets would say, you do your part to love God and it'll start to fix itself. In Ta Biblia, in the books, in the 66, one of the ways that they capture one of the things we're supposed to be doing as God lovers is we're supposed to care, and it says over and over again, for widows and orphans. That's what's so powerful about what Kathy reminded us of this morning. In our modern culture, we have homeless people, we have people that can't read, we've got all kinds of issues. What it means is this, when somebody is in need, we respond with compassion in some thoughtful way to try to help. And there's a million ways to help. 
you could be coaching a kid in little league, teaching someone literally who has who needs help tutoring in school. It could be literally homeless and hungry people. But when people are in need, the people who are in love with God respond to people in need around them. That's not. And the prophets are saying, "You don't care about the widows and orphans." They're calling them out, and Jesus reminds people of that. So that's who he is. And there's a promise in the prophetic voice, in Jesus' voice, in all of their voices. God will make it right one day. God's going to fix this. All this mess, this cesspool of wrong, God will get it straight. And so, in your world, you may have people saying, well, if you think about it, friends of yours, people you care about, who you know are maybe skeptical about the Christian faith, maybe they say the Bible itself isn't reliable, I've maybe who knows what they might say this about Jesus they might say well Jesus is a great human teacher and certainly he was but Jesus and Mark and Todd Biblia they're not going to let us leave it at just that we're going to say that he's more than a human teacher and that's what's been so great about this journey we're seeing it when we mix the kingdom of God and the mighty Messiah together we begin to see the inbreaking of God in our world and somehow Jesus is connected to God's very presence because Jesus is God present. So we believe he's more than a great human, though he certainly was that. And that's what Mark is trying to show us. They want, that th these people have great hopes. It's not supposed to be this way, but look what happens next. Jesus wants to know what everybody else is saying, but here now the question comes home to these people and to you and to me right now this morning. What about you? Jesus turns to him to his, his people, his, his closest circle of friends. Who do you say I am? Now this morning, I want you to ask yourself that question carefully. I want you to let this question be your question and then watch yourself as you answer. Who is Jesus to you? And notice now what happens. Peter, really speaking on behalf of all of them, says this. You are the Messiah. And Jesus lets Peter say that. He doesn't say, no, I'm not. I'm just a human. Yes, he's saying, I'm the Messiah. And all these folks are saying, all of the way it is around here is not the way it's supposed to be. And I, ha I have no idea how you're going to do it. But they want a Messiah. You know what they want the Messiah to do? Go to Rome and take an army and beat the, the Caesar. Augustus is his name at the time. They want to defeat the emperor of Rome. They want their Messiah to be the king of the nation of Israel. Literally, politically, and militarily, that's what they want. And what they don't see coming is that Jesus is not going to accomplish the messianic mission in that way. He's going to go even deeper and fix, and fix the most important and even more important problem. Yes, Rome is a problem, but below that, around that, and bigger than that, is the problem of evil and death. And Jesus Christ, though they can't see it coming, how could they? They want a king to lead them. They want their king to be like David, except David on steroids, the great king of Israel from 1,200 years earlier. That's what they want. They can't see and they don't know what's coming next. And there was no way they could anticipate it. But Jesus is going to fix the ultimate problem, which is death itself. On we go with the story. He says, don't tell anyone about this. Two reasons. One of them is, if the Caesar hears there's a guy talking about being king, 
the Caesars are simply going to squash them. The Roman emperors loved to show you and show me who was in charge. And they simply annihilated anybody who got in their way. It was that simple. They were really good at it, too, and proud of their ability to execute wannabe kings. So that's, it's a political danger for Jesus to be talking about being a king. But think about it religiously also. Don't say anything yet because... When the people at home office in the Jewish religion in Jerusalem hear that I'm talking about being the king of Israel, they're not going to like it either, not for political reasons, but for religious reasons. They're going to come after me. In fact, in Mark's gospel already, the rulers who are threatened by Jesus are plotting to assassinate him. So Jesus is saying, not yet. Now, believe me, friends, he's no victim. He's going to walk straight into Jerusalem straight up that hill and allow himself to be executed he's choosing to die but the word can't get out yet he's not quite ready and the timing is up to him so that's where we are they have this experience it's troubling to them you're the Messiah don't tell anybody they don't completely understand they can't see it coming he predicts he's going to be executed they go no 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 When he says, I'm going to be executed, they go, no, 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 that's not what a Messiah does. Messiahs don't get executed. If you are the Messiah and you get executed, you're a, you're a false Messiah. They're profoundly troubled. They simply couldn't see it coming, but their hearts break every day because it's a mess out there. It's just not supposed to be this way. So a few days later, we see in chapter 9, verse 2, we jump in. A few days later, Jesus, still up near Caesar's Philippi, 25 miles north of downtown Jerusalem, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. This is the executive committee of the 12, these three. Jesus, James, and Pilate takes them up, up onto a high mountain where they were all alone. Jesus, James, John, Peter, four guys up on the top of a mountain. This would be Mount Hermon probably, which is just near Caesarea Philippi, a big mountain, the largest mountain in all of Israel. The tallest mountain. So, and look at this next line. They're all alone, and then he was transfigured before them. Transfigured. What does that mean? And here's where we see the theme of the kingdom of God breaking into the text. Well, what does transfigured mean? It's not real certain, but take a look at what we see happening next. Remembering that we have an eyewitness account. Verse 3, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. So what is transfiguration? I don't really know. But here's what I know. Dazzling white, always in ta biblia, always in the books, always in the Bible. When God shows up in some unique way, everything lights up, bright dazzling white it's the power and the presence and the 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 glory of God to use a word that often shows up in the Bible glory means power and it means influence it means brightness and so somehow this is what's happening my friends we are seeing a dimension of God's reality which is more than our reality and sometimes we use the word um, supernatural sometimes we use the word miracle but what I want us to think about here, I think that Mark, I think Tabiblia, the Bible, I think the books are trying to tell us that our reality is more than what we ordinarily see, that the God dimension sometimes becomes visible to us. And so miracles to us are just the way it is in God's realm. 
People get well in God's realm. People are healed. And that's what I think is going on here. There's a flash of God in some special way. An almighty God of the universe, the creator of it, opens up a window and lets us see a bigger picture of all reality than you and I normally and ordinarily encounter. And most people, when they have an experience that they use that kind of terminology to describe where somehow they felt like they experienced God in some really special way, most people want to insist that it's really important in their life. That's probably the case for you when you've sensed something like that happen to you. And so that's what's happening here. Something really, really big is happening. And there they are, shining. So we thought we'd have a little fun to talk about why we have Moses and Elijah and Jesus. So we have a little picture for you here. Mount Rushmore. This is a Mount Rushmore moment in the Bible, in Top Biblia, and you can go ahead and enjoy those pictures up there. You'll see myself. I want you to notice that the shirt in the picture is the same shirt I'm wearing now. Now, I have a question about that shirt. How many people think that I knew beforehand that wearing a linen shirt in October is a fashion violation? Raise your hand if you think that I knew that, but I learned it this morning that I'm, this is a fashion violation because it's linen and it's past the summer. It's okay. That's, I thought that was funny. She's laughing because she's the one that issued the citation. So behind me is George Washington. Behind Charlton Heston, I mean Moses, is Thomas Jefferson. Behind this like unbelievably gorgeous, handsome model Jesus is Theodore Roosevelt. And behind the Elijah figure is uh, 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 Abraham Lincoln. Now, just as a sidebar, and I've gotten one vote this morning, I think this person is wrong, I'm not going to tell you what they said, but if you can tell me who the actor is portraying Elijah there, I'll give you a $10 Starbucks card. And the 9 o'clock people got to jump on you. That includes you online. You have to text me or email me. If, you, if you're the first one to get it right, then I'll give you a $10 Starbucks card, I promise you. Get your phone out now and take a picture of this silly Mount Rushmore. But anyway, my point is don't go away the picture quite yet because the cameras aren't out. I don't see you with your phones. So here's the deal about Mount Rushmore. This is like the lion head figures of the people of Israel. And that's who Jesus is with on the top of the mountain. God has broken in. And here's what's going on. Jesus is saying in this conversation that Moses and Jesus and Elijah had, Jesus saying, Moses, the greatest of all the prophets. And then Elijah just behind him. I'm finishing the job. That's what I think Jesus and these guys are talking about. I'm going to get it done. Remembering Jesus knows that that means walking straight into an assassination. The next episode, uh, the next uh, stop in the episode here is Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then Mark kind of laughing almost says in parentheses, that boy didn't know what he was saying. He was just all nervous and excited and scared all at the same time. So he just starts jabbering. So Peter is an extrovert and he often speaks before he thinks. I have personally been accused of that on more than one occasion. But Peter is well-intended. Here's what I think Peter wants to do. He said, Jesus, man, this is awesome. Can we just do something to keep this going for a while? He wants to preserve the moment. Why wouldn't he? And then he says, let's build some tents. And you don't have any idea what that means, but this is what I think it means. I think it means he wanted to build three tents or booths because that would connect this thing happening on the mountain to an already uh, to a, ha a pattern already in the life of the people of Israel. Every year they had a festival of booths. 
And so I think that's what Pete was doing here. He, he was just, he didn't know what to do with himself. He's all excited and scared at the same time. And so that's what he says. And then the cloud appears and covers them. And this voice comes from the cloud. Remember John the Baptist who was beheaded? When he baptized Jesus, the same thing happened. A voice appears from out of the clouds. A voice is heard from out of the clouds and says this. Back when Jesus three years ago was baptized and now again. This is my son whom I love. The almighty father in the universe is saying to the second person, the Trinity, you're my, hum- you're, you're my son, I love you. And then he says to you and to me, along with to Peter and James and John, he says, listen to him. Daring disciples, I want you to dig in this morning and think about what that means for you and for me to listen to him. Look what happens next. Suddenly, they look around. They no longer see anyone with them except Jesus. The the God dimension, the presence of the king dimension sort of disappears for a while, and we're back to sort of the ordinary Jesus that we climbed up the mountain with in the first place. And that's okay. And then finally, look what happens. They come down the mountain. Remembering, Jesus is coming down Mount Hermon, 25 miles north. He can see the Jordan River, the valley that runs all the way to Jerusalem, and he knows what's going to happen next. He's going to walk back up the hill in Jerusalem to the hill on which the cross will be where he's going to walk straight in to his own execution. That's what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to walk into it on purpose, choosing it. He is no victim. Jesus is not a victim. In fact, this is what Paul says. We've already talked about Paul and what he says to Biblia is God-breathed. Now here's what Paul says about Jesus' death. This is a letter that Paul wrote to some Christians in a city called Colossae, which is just another one of the cities that Paul visited. He, he wrote this, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. He said, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. All that stuff that's wrong with the universe, death, evil, the destructive forces of them and of human scheming. All those things, Paul says, Jesus disarmed. He made a public public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When Jesus walks straight into that cross, he takes care of the most important enemy, death itself, and he makes a public spectacle of death. And we know, as did Mark's hearers 30 years later at the end of the story, we know about the resurrection. So we get a chance to look back and see, yes, that's what happened. That really was the most important enemy. Rome was bad. Death is way worse. Evil is bad. Way worse than Rome. That's what Paul does. Here's None of the things, Paul is saying, none of the things that are wrong with the world are any match for the death and resurrection of Jesus. He conquers all of it. So here we are, friends. We're coming down the mountain. He gives them orders again not to tell anyone. It says there what it, until it says here in verse 9, don't tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man, meaning himself, had risen from the dead. They, they certainly didn't, they did not see his execution coming, and they really couldn't have possibly seen the resurrection coming. They're scratching their heads. What is this about? They kept the matters to themselves. In other words, they didn't talk about the transfiguration because he asked them not to until after the resurrection. And then they just discussed amongst themselves, what is this rising from the dead all about? 
and you and I would have been asking the same questions. We wouldn't have known. We would have been puzzled. But here's what they did. And here's what we're being challenged to do. They were daring. They stayed with it. And almost all of them, after Jesus' resurrection, continued in the movement as loud spokespersons, ambassadors. And they died martyrs' deaths. Brave. You are, you are not, it's very unlikely that you're going to die, physically die, because you're a follower of Jesus. But I do want to give us three ways that we can dare to listen. I want you to understand this. Following Jesus is not, listen carefully, please, please hear me. Following Jesus is not some kind of pleasant afternoon hike. Put it differently with a question. Is following Jesus merely some adjustments in our ordinary life? The answer is no. You know that. I've never heard a person who gave it all to Jesus regret the decision. Never. But here's how I think you can listen. Dare to listen. And I'm going to say three things, and I've said them for 22 years is how long I've been in this job, and I'm going to keep saying for 22 more years, nothing new here. But they, if this is just the truth. How do we listen to Jesus? You have to listen to Jesus by making the decision, dare to challenge yourself to make the time to be alone with him all the time, every, every, do it every single day. Now, I'm going to use myself as an example, not because I'm morally superior. It's just because I can't not do this anymore. Just by the, by the grace of God, in the morning, I get up early, and I have my phone, and instead of going to the Florida State University Lose Again Seminole website, I go to my prayer app called Ceaseless. And what I do is it gets three of my names from random out of my contact list, and I pray for them. Sometimes I send people a text saying, I prayed for you this morning because you came up on Ceaseless. That's how I get started. If I didn't do that first, I'd go straight to the website and read about my Knowles. And then I'd be really miserable. That's what I do. And then I have some music going. I got a bunch of other stuff. I got emails and devotionals. And I spend time alone and really almost every single day. And the reason I do it is not because I'm any, it's not because of me. It's just become a part of me where I can't get by if I don't. I just run out of gas. I'm not good for anything. Here's a way of saying it. If I go two days without having what I call a quiet time with God, if I go two days, I can begin to tell. If I go two weeks without having a quiet time, Kathy can tell. If I go two months without a quiet time, everybody can tell. I just need it. And I, there's, I promise you, there's nothing special about me. It's just God making it happen. I want to be there. I have an appointment in my calendar that I put in there, QT, and I block the time out because I just need to get there because I, there's just so much. I just run out of gas if I was on my own. Don't tell me you can't do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Yes, I go to sleep a little earlier than maybe I used to. Whatever. I, I can't wait till tomorrow morning because I know that I'm going to have a chance to just... That's the one thing you can do. The second thing to do is be in a group. And Kathy and I don't get paid extra commission for how many of you join life groups. I don't want anything from you, but I want something for you. When you intentionally live your life of faith with other people, we don't do this alone. We're not silos. We, do, we have time that's solitary, yes, 
solitude, but then we also do it together. So how do we listen to Jesus, daring disciples? We make a commitment to love brothers and sisters well, and you have to build it into your life. It has to be disciplined. And some days you go, ah, I don't want to go, and then you go and you're glad you were there, and you just keep putting it into your life. And the next thing you know, you feel inspired by somebody, or you feel encouraged by somebody, or supported by somebody, or something's really hard and they just hold your hand or put an arm around your shoulder while you go through it. And you end up inspired by what you see God doing in other people's lives, and you just do life together. I've been in a life group without interruption, except for a few months maybe when I moved across the country and back since I was 18 years old. This is not something we do once and then we graduate. It's a part of being a daring disciple. You commit yourself to the other people, and they commit to you, and you do life together and love each other really well. And the last thing, the third thing, is do something to make a difference in somebody else's life who's in need. Who might be a widow or, or an orphan in your life? It could be a kid that just doesn't know how to read and you can tutor them. It could be you take a little league team and you coach it and you love them with Jesus' love. Kathy read the passage that said, when we do this for people that most say aren't important, we're doing it to Jesus himself. When you care about somebody who needs something, and it could be literally a hungry, homeless person, or it could be a neighbor. When you do that, when you get out of self and into other, then you're conducting yourself the way Jesus does. And you know what? You'll begin to hear Jesus speak to you when you let go of self and start to prioritize other. And the next thing you know, you're going to say, well, you know, I think I may have helped them, but man, I got a lot more out of it. That's what happens to us when we give. Daring disciples, listen to Jesus. The voice that spoke out of that cloud that says, this is my son whom I love. Oh, you are his daughter. You are his son. The almighty God of the universe loves each one of us, is speaking to us now. Take the risk to listen back. Build that. Take the next best step to build listening into the way you do your every day. And then you know what will happen? Occasionally, some God dimension will show up. You're not going to see it coming, but man, you're going to be glad. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you gave everything for us, that you defeated death. That was the enemy that really mattered the most, and everybody struggles with it. We think we know who the enemy is, and, we, and yet death itself, evil, human scheming, none of those things are matches for Jesus. And he took all of that out and made a laughing stock of them, triumphed over them. And so we ask you, gracious God, to love us. Give us the courage to take the brave step, the disciplined step, the organized step, to build a little more listening into our life, to build a little more loving of other in our life, to serve. Thank you, gracious God, that when we do that, and the next thing you know, we find that you're right there in the middle. You were already there, and we get there to find that you were there at first. We thank you for all of this in the name of Jesus, who loves us. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand, just reminding you the ushers are going to help you get out. The band is going to do another reprise of something we've already sung, and let's leave this way. Let's leave as people who just made a decision just now to listen carefully. Take that next good step. Dare to follow Jesus Christ.